You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. B.J. Chersonoff up. He's going to be preaching our text this morning. Uh, let me read the text and I'll be, I want to pray for him. This is a good brother. We've done ministry together uh, years past and he is now leading a ministry in Coquitlam. Uh, so he has come here and offered his services to come and preach God's word uh, for us. And so I was kind of looking over this text as I've kind of looked over the whole Bible and I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is, this is one I want back. It's so good. So let me just read. Let me read it for us, and then uh, I'll pray for BJ as he as he worship, uh, brings the word. Would you stand with us as we read God's word together? So this is First John chapter five, verses one through one through five. It says this: Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen. This is the word of God. Let's uh, pray for BJ this morning. Jesus, we thank you so much for this brother. I thank you for the ministry that we've had, that you've given us uh, by your grace to do. And and uh, now, Jesus, uh, that you've uh, uh, moved us apart, uh, we get to continue on doing your work uh, in different areas of uh, this province. And we just thank you so much. I thank you for BJ's his willingness to come and, and bring the word of God, your word, uh, to us this morning. I just pray a great blessing upon him and his family. Uh, I pray that as he speaks, that it will just be you, your words flowing through him, and that we, uh, Lord, will be opened up uh, to what you have to say to us this morning, that we will be changed, that we apply the things that we've learned here this morning, and, and uh, that many others will be affected by this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jer. Get my timer going there. All right, I've had the privilege of knowing Jer for about 10 years. My family was a part of Westside all the way up until uh, 2017, where we left Westside and went to plant and start a church in Port Coquitlam, where we're serving now. Jer was one of my elders for the seven or so years that I was a member at Westside Church. And so I don't have to tell you this because you already know it, but he's one of the good ones. <laughs> like, really. I hope you know how good God has been to you here at the shore to give you a man like Jer to shepherd you. There are few like him. The way he loves Jesus and his word, the way he loves Jody and the kids, the way he loves the church. So thank God for him, pray for him, and ask the Lord how you might serve him as he continues to pour out his life to serve you here at the shore. He didn't pay me to say any of this, by the way. (laughs) The Bible says to give honor to those who deserve it, and Jer is one of those men who deserves it. I love this man. So it was a no-brainer for me when he reached out to ask if I could come here to the shore this morning and preach to you. 
Now, although I know Jer, I only know a handful of you personally. I recognize a few of you from my time at Westside. And it's really good to see you guys again. But I don't know the majority of everyone who's gathered here today. And since I know so few of you, what I'm going to do next may sound or feel like I'm stepping out of bounds a bit. It may appear like I'm coming across a little forthcoming, blunt even. I say that because I'm going to spend some time telling all of you here today what are the two most important things that you need to have in your life. The top two for every single one of you. And I'm going to do this without knowing anything about you. And I admit it, that's bold. But I'm able to tell you these things because I'm not going to be appealing to my own opinion or authority when I do it. I'm going to appeal to the authority that we have been given in God's word, the authority that all of us stand under. God alone is the only one who can truly tell any of us what we really need. And he does tell us. So it might surprise you to hear what the two uttermost needs are in your life. Your most important need is not to get married if you're single. It's not to have a healthy marriage if you're married. It's not to have kids if you don't have any. It's not to have your kids grow up and graduate and be fully functioning members in society. It's not to have a long, healthy, and comfortable life. It's not to get a job if you're unemployed, and it's not to get a promotion if you have a job. It's not to own a house. It's not even to have a place to live. It's not to have friends. It's not to be able to cross off all the things on your bucket list if you have one of those. It's not even to make sure you have the most basic necessities of life, things like sufficient food and clean water. Your most important need is not even to have enough air to breathe, to sustain physical life. Now, all of these things are good things, like great things. And for the record, I'm personally a very big fan of breathing. But hear me when I tell you that none of these things are at the very top of the list of the most important things that you need to have in your life. Can I tell you why? Because none of these things will mean a lick to you when the time comes for you to cross over from this life to the next. When you have to stand before your maker, the judge of all the earth, the one who spoke the cosmos into existence by the word of his power, and who holds the entire cosmos together by that same word, when you're going to stand before him and give an account of your life to him, and one day you will, none of those other things I just mentioned are going to matter in that moment. When you're standing on the threshold of either entering into eternal life or eternal death, all of a sudden you will realize that it never mattered if you were ever a homeowner on the North Shore or not. In that moment, it won't matter if you were married or not. It won't matter if you had kids or not. It won't matter if you were rich or poor, healthy or sick, hungry or full. None of those things will matter when the time comes for you to give an account of your life to your God. One thing alone will matter in that moment, and it's this. Have you had your sins forgiven in this life? The sins that would keep you from entering eternal life, did you have them washed clean from your life on this side of eternity? Did you cross over from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light in this life? Did you become a child of God in this life? Did you become a friend of God in this life, even though you were born into this life as an enemy of his? 
This is the only thing that matters in this life, the only thing you need. Hear me. Have you been born again? Because this is what you need to have happen in your life if you are going to live forever after you die. Don't take my word for it, though. Listen to this interaction Jesus had with a religious leader in his day. This exchange was written down for us in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. It should be on the screen to my side. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus says plainly that unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, which is a term synonymous with receiving or entering eternal life. Jesus said you have to be born again. That's what he says. And that means, because we're always going to go with what Jesus says, that means, according to Jesus, that being born again is the first and most important thing that you need in your life because you don't have eternal life without it. So that's the first thing that you need. Here's the second thing, the second most important thing you need to have in your life, and it's related to the first. You have to be able to know how to recognize if a person has been born again or not. It's not enough to think or hope you're born again. It's too much of a big deal to rest your eternal destiny on a maybe. (laughs) You cannot take a chance with this. There's too much at stake. You can't say to yourself, I hope it all gets figured out by the time I get there. You have to know that you know that you know that you've been born again. You have to have confidence that you have received the gift of eternal life. Can you imagine how horrific that moment would be if you crossed over from this life to the next, thinking, even believing that you were born again only to find out that you weren't? What could be worse than expecting King Jesus to welcome you into eternal life with the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into the joy of your master. Only to hear these words from his mouth instead. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What would be worse than going to hell when you really thought that you were going to heaven? The answer is nothing. You need to know how to recognize if a a person is born again so that you can have that sweet, personal peace and assurance in your own life that comes when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a child of God. But another reason you need to know, it's not just about us, right? Another reason you need to know how to tell who who has been born again is because that is going to determine how you relate to people in this world. If you know a person has been born again, then you don't have to spend any time trying to get them to get saved. 
You only get saved once. You only get born again once. No one ever gets born again, again. If you know a person is saved, then you spend time with them doing what Jesus commanded us to do in the Great Commission. You help your fellow disciples learn how to obey the commands of Jesus. That's what Christians are called to do with those who we know are born again. But if you happen to recognize a person hasn't been born again, then your primary concern should not be whether or not they are obeying the commands of Jesus in their life. You should never try to get a person who is not a Christian to live like a Christian. No, don't do that. Why not? Because you cannot love and obey Christ until you have Christ in your life. The only thing that you need to be concerned about when it comes to anyone who hasn't been born again is leading them to the place where that new birth can be experienced in their life. Then they will have Jesus, and then they can follow Jesus. So with all that being said, I hope you can see that it doesn't matter if I know you personally or not when I share these things with you, because no matter who you are, your first and your greatest need in your life is to be born again, and your second greatest need is to know how to tell who has actually been born again and who hasn't, for your own sake and for the sake of the people God has called you to love. Now, the Apostle John, he cared very deeply about this. It's one of the reasons he gives for writing the letter that we have called 1 John. It's not in our text this morning, but a, little, a few verses ahead. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants us to know if we are born again or not. And that is exactly what he lays out for us in the first five verses of the fifth chapter in his first epistle. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, our text for this morning, John gives the church three marks to look for in a person's life that will indicate whether or not they've been born again. I'm going to give you the outline for this text up front, and then we're going to walk through the passage together. Three marks that reveal if a person has been born again. Mark number one, everyone who has been born again believes in Jesus. We're going to see this in the first part of verse one. Number two, everyone who has been born again loves the church. Second part of verse one, all the way through the end of verse three. And then mark number three, everyone who has been born again overcomes the world. We're going to see that in verses four and five. So let's take a look at these one at a time. Number one, everyone who has been born again believes in Jesus. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, again, the first part says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If you like underlining things in your Bible, go ahead and underline the word everyone. I'm going to get you to underline the same word each and every time it comes up in our text. Everyone. Not seven out of every eight people. Not 99 out of every 100. Not most people on most days. Everyone. Everyone who does what? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. The term Christ means anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one that the Jews had been anticipating for hundreds of years. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of all mankind. So what is it do you need, that you need to believe about Jesus being the Christ in order to be born again? Well, you need to believe that Jesus is no ordinary man. He's fully man and fully God, both of those things at exactly the same time. 
You need to believe that Jesus didn't come into existence the day that he was physically born as a baby boy that first Christmas morning. He is the eternal God who created the heavens and the earth. You need to believe that he is the one that the prophets promised would come to be the savior of the world. And these prophets spoke of him hundreds of years before he was born. Sin came into God's creation in Genesis chapter 2, and starting right away in Genesis chapter 3, God began making promises about a Christ that would come into the world to be the Savior of it. Jesus is that Christ. You need to believe that Jesus was physically born into this world without sin because of the way he was conceived. Jesus was born of a virgin. You need to believe that he lived a totally complete sinless life only and always obeying his heavenly father perfectly. Not only in his actions, but there was absolutely no sin in Jesus' thoughts and even in his heart. Because Jesus never sinned, he could have gone straight to heaven at the end of his life if he wanted to. He was the only human being who ever earned the right to go to heaven. Only perfect people get to go to heaven on their own merits. And Jesus was sinlessly perfect. If any of us go to heaven, it's only because we've been saved into heaven by someone else. But Jesus earned his own way there. He punched his own ticket to heaven. But he didn't go straight to heaven at the end of his life. Praise God he didn't. He made a detour before he went back to where he came from. At the very end of his life and ministry, Jesus let himself be betrayed by one of his friends into the hands of his enemies. He let himself be illegally tried in the middle of the night by a kangaroo court. He let himself be mocked, ridiculed, spit upon, beaten, tortured, and crucified. He let them staple his bruised, beaten, and bloodied body onto a Roman cross. He hung on that cross for six hours, where during that time, he took upon himself the sins of the entire world. And although he never sinned, Jesus took upon himself the sins that would have sent everyone who has ever lived to hell forever. But Jesus took our sins for us. He paid for them on the cross in full. He was punished in our place on the cross. He died the death that all of us deserve to die. His life came to an end on the cross when he chose to give up his spirit. His dead body was taken off the cross and buried in a tomb. And then on the third day after his death, something phenomenal happened. He resurrected from the dead, destroying the power of death, just like he said he was going to do. He then physically appeared to his disciples and others over a period of 40 days, proving that he was alive again. And then, and only then, did he go back to heaven, where he is now ruling and reigning over the entire universe. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, and he is happily the Lord of everyone who places their faith in him as the Christ. This is what a person who has been born again believes about Jesus. Because if you believe in this Jesus, not the Jesus our culture teaches, not the Jesus false religions teach, but if you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, then you will have had your sins forgiven and removed, and you will have been given the gift of spiritual life, a.k.a. being born again, a.k.a. eternal life. This is what Jesus said in one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? If you do, John says that this is the first marker that identifies a person as being born again. You cannot be born again apart from believing this about Jesus. It's the first mark, but it's not the only mark. You need to see the next two marks in a person's life as well. These next two marks that we're going to look at actually reveal if the belief that you have in Jesus is genuine. So what's the second mark of someone who's been born again? Here it is. Everyone who has been born again loves the church. We see this in verses 1, second half of verse 1 through till verse 3. And everyone, it'll be on the screen, yeah, everyone, and underline that word again in your Bible if you haven't done that already. Everyone who loves the Father loves everyone who has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The phrase, everyone who loves the Father, in the second half of verse 1, is another way of saying everyone who has been born again. In these verses, John is articulating something that we know today as cause and effect. Here's a quick and simple example of how cause and effect works in case you're not quite sure. I like going to Red Robin's to eat because it's good food and it's great value. Okay, bottomless fries and bottomless pop. And Coke Zero is my soda of choice. So when I go to Red Robins, I drink a lot of pop, like an absurd amount, like five to ten glasses, easy, every time. When the server comes to my table and asks if I would like another Coke Zero, I politely respond with, is it still free? <laughs> and when they say it is, I say, yes, please, bring me another. And guess what happens when I drink that much pop? I have, to, I have to go to the bathroom like a lot, three, four, five times. That's cause and effect. Liquid in, liquid out. Poetic, I know. What would happen if I didn't drink all that pop? Nothing. I wouldn't have to get up and use the bathroom at all. I hope this doesn't sound sacrilegious, okay? But God's love is like the French fries and pop at Red Robin's. It's bottomless. It's infinite. It's eternal. It's always free. And when God pours his love into our life, God's love in us will produce a love for him. God's love will flow out of us when he puts it in us. It's a case of cause and effect. This is very important to understand because you cannot love God until you've been born of him. You can't love him until his love is in you. Before you're born again, you hate God. The Bible makes this clear. It's what makes the cross of Jesus so incredible. Because Jesus didn't come to die for good people who loved God. He came to die for the enemies who hated him. And after we're born again, God's love fills our hearts. And that love in us produces in us a love for God. So everyone who loves the Father has been born again. We can't love him until that happens. But John's not done. God's love in us is so powerful that it doesn't just overflow in love towards God vertically. It flows out of us into our relationships horizontally. John goes on to say that everyone who has been born again, everyone who loves the Father, loves everyone else who has been born again too. A.K.A. the church. We see this at the end of verse 1. Now you've probably heard this a million times, but it bears repeating. 
The church is not a building. The church sometimes meets in a building. That's because the church is the people of God, and sometimes the people of God meet in buildings. Love for the church, love for the people of God, is the second mark of the new birth. If you are born again, you will love God's people. This is what the Bible says, and we can word it the other way too. If you don't love others who have been born again, then you have not been born again. So what does love for the church look like? Well, it looks like the way Jesus loved his disciples when they were with him during his three-year public ministry recorded for us in the Gospels. It looks like the way his disciples loved the church when it was birthed in the book of Acts. It looks like the way John has been describing love in the first four chapters of the epistle of 1 John. If you love someone, you will spend time with them. You will serve them. You will help carry their burdens. You will pray for them. You will help them obey God. You will worship with them. You will help them meet basic needs in their life if they can't meet them on their own. And get this. You will demonstrate love towards them even if you don't feel like it, even if they don't deserve to be loved in your mind. And do you know why you'll do this? Because love is not based primarily upon a feeling. Love is not subjective. Now, sure, there are some nice feelings we experience at times when we love others and when they love us. Who doesn't love feeling loved? I love feeling the feeling of love. But the love John is talking about here is not dependent on certain feelings being present. Now, take a look at verse 2 again. It says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. Look at what John does in this verse. It will change the way you love people in the church if you get this. John says that we love our brothers and sisters in the church when we love God. He takes our focus off of the people we are called to love, and he fixes our focus onto God instead. I had to pause here when I was first meditating on this text, because I thought John was talking about loving people, and I always thought that if I was going to love people well, then my main focus would have to be primarily on them and their needs. But John takes our focus off the horizontal plane where we interact with other people, and he puts our attention onto the vertical plane instead where we interact with God. John says if you focus on loving God, then you will end up loving people the way that you should. John says that if we love God, we will obey his commands. And do you know what God commands us to do? God commands us to love our brothers and sisters. Do you see how life-altering this truth is? We are to love people because God tells us to, not because we feel like it or because they deserve it. We love people, namely our brothers and sisters in the church, as an obedient response to what God tells us to do. Someone in the church is being a jerk. What do you do? Love them. Because they deserve your love? No, because God deserves your love, and he told you to love them. Now, the best case scenario in any church is that everyone in the church will be lovely all of the time, and that would make loving everyone a little bit easier. But what if people in the church aren't easy to love sometimes? In that case, it will demonstrate that God's love is in you when you love your brothers and sisters, even if they're acting like tools. Because isn't that the way that God loves you and me? 
Praise God, he doesn't only love me when I'm acting lovely. He loves me all the time, even when I'm at my worst. Even when I'm being a tool. And that's how we need to love one another. And that's what a person will do if they've been born again. So one, a person who is born again believes in Jesus. Two, a person who is born again loves the church. It's love for the church that identifies that they've been genuinely born again into a love relationship with the Father. Because if we love God, then we're going to obey him. And he commands us to love one another in the church. This brings us to point number three. Everyone who has been born again overcomes the world. Verses four to five read like this. For everyone, go ahead and underline that. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If something's nice, you say it twice. This truth that John shares with us in verses 4 and 5 is so nice, he says it thrice. That's KJV talk for three times. John basically says the same thing three times in these two verses. Look at them with me. In the first part of verse 4, he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Second part of verse 4, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now those who have faith in Jesus are those who have been born again, and those who have been born again overcome the world. Verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The one who believes in Jesus is the one who has been born again. We saw that back in verse 1. So three times we see this connection in these two verses. Born again overcomes the world. Born again overcomes the world. Born again overcomes the world. You see it there. Same thing said three times in three slightly different ways. It's the third mark of the one who's been born again. And it's so important that John says it thrice. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to overcome the world? Don't think conquering, like you're slaying the world, and after you've defeated it and it's lying in a bloody mess, you put your foot on it in victory and you raise your sword and you're screaming, I have overcome the world. Don't think like that. That's not the overcoming John has in mind. When you think of overcoming the world, think about how Jesus did that very thing. At the very end of Jesus' upper room discourse that he had with his disciples on the night he was betrayed by Judas over to his death, before he began to pray what is known as his high priestly prayer in John 17, he said this recorded for us at the very end of John 16 in verse 33. But I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus said he overcame the world. But boy, I don't know what you're looking at when you read the Bible. It sure didn't look like overcoming to me. If anything, it looked like the world overcame him. The world rejected him, beat him to a pulp, chewed him up and spat him out, publicly humiliated him, slandered him, tortured him, killed him. That's overcoming the world? Yes. Yes, and a million times yes. Because this is what overcoming the world means. 
the world system, which is run by Satan, who is called the God of this world in the Bible, is actively trying to get believers to do one thing and one thing only, disobey God. You can see the devil did this successfully in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He didn't war against them physically. He warred against them and overcame them with lies, lies that tempted them and led them to choose to disobey God. Satan overcame Adam and Eve in the garden. And that's what he's been trying to do to mankind ever since. Trying to get you and me to not trust God. To not love God. To not obey God. Our victory, our overcoming the world is evidenced when we are trusting, loving, and obeying God. No matter what he says, no matter what it may cost us to do it. Satan tries us to get, get us to disobey God, and when he does, then we suffer the consequences of that disobedience. There are always consequences to sin, even for the believer. We're forgiven of it all, but we have to live in the mess of it here in this life. But Jesus was never overcome by the world or by Satan. If you remember after his baptism, Jesus was led by the, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And what did Satan try and do? He tried to get Jesus to disobey God. Did Satan overcome Jesus with, with his temptations? Not even for one second. Jesus overcame him by holding on to the truth of the word of God. Fast forward three years to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was praying on the night he was arrested. He wrestled with what the Father was calling him to do. Jesus wrestled with the reality of what was going to be experienced on the cross, but he overcame and he obeyed the Father even though it meant going to the cross. That is overcoming the world being tempted to sin against God, but choosing to obey God anyway. Overcoming the world is choosing to obey God even when it hurts to do so. Overcoming the world is choosing to obey God even if it means losing friends or family in the process. Overcoming the world is choosing to obey God even if the world is going to hate you and persecute you for doing so. Overcoming the world is choosing Christ instead of succumbing to the temptations the world throws at us at every turn. Overcoming the world is what John is talking about back in chapter 2 of the same epistle where he said in verses 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God instead of loving this world, is the one who evidences that they have been born again. Overcoming the world is choosing Christ over anything and everything, even if it costs us our very lives. That's overcoming the world. And that's the third mark that identifies the person who's been born again. And so to recap... Three marks that reveal if a person has been born again. One, everyone who's been born again believes in Jesus. Two, everyone who has been born again loves the church. And three, everyone who's been born again overcomes the world. So a couple thoughts as I begin to wrap up in closing. First one, there might be someone here today who is genuinely born again, but they're questioning whether they are Maybe after a message like this. And you may love Jesus, but in this season of your life, you're really wrestling with your faith. And that wrestle is causing you to second guess 
if you're saved or not. Please hear me if that's you. Nobody who has genuinely been born again exhibits these three marks perfectly in their life at all times. Nobody. No Christian gets saved and then believes in Jesus perfectly for the rest of their life. No Christian loves the church perfectly for the duration of their life. No Christian overcomes the world each and every time the world bears its fangs and tries to lure us away from trusting in Jesus. There has only ever been one perfect Christian and newsflash, none of us is him. The issue for us is not about being a perfect Christian in order to know that we're born again. The issue is this, is there any evidence of these three marks in your life? And depending on how long you've been following Jesus, are you growing in these three areas? We should never take the worst moment of our worst day and then use that example to determine whether we are in fact saved or not. That would be a demoralizing exercise for any of us, me included. Don't use a microscope to look at the worst part of your life to know if you're a Christian. Take a step back and look at your whole life with a panoramic lens to discern if you are. When you take a bird's eye view of your, of your whole life, does your whole life indicate that you believe in Jesus, love his church, and overcome the world? And even though there are lots of ups and downs through the course of your life, are those three things the normal pattern that you can see in your life? Not perfectly all the time, but enough of it there to evidence that it exists. Or are they the exception? Second, if you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit is showing you that there's an area of your life that you need to recommit to God, let His grace lead you to that repentance today. If you're saying, I'm, I'm getting hit right in the feels right now, I'm not loving the church and I'm a Christian, well, you know what? God help me love the church. <laughs> That's the response that you're supposed to come out of a message like, like this. And turn that area of your life back over to God by the grace of God, whatever that is. And finally, you may be here today, and if you're honest with yourself and before God, you don't see any of these three marks in your life, ever. And if that's you, then according to John, you haven't been born again yet. And that's something that you need to pursue right now, right this very moment. You need this more than anything else in your life. And if this is you, let me encourage you to respond to Christ today. And so with that said, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray, and I want to invite you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes with me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up so they can get ready to lead us. Father, I thank you for your word. Apart, it, apart from it, Lord, we wouldn't know anything about who you are and how you've worked in our world and in our life. Thank you for showing us how awesome you are, how good you are, how loving you are. Thank you for showing us, Lord, the depths that you went to make a way for us to become children of God and to come into your family. Because if you didn't do anything that you did, all of us would be hopeless, but you did do everything that the Bible says you did. Therefore, we have entrance as a free gift into your kingdom and into your family. We praise you for that, Jesus. I wanna pray right now, Lord, for the saints in this building right now, my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them in their most holy faith. If they have tasted and seen how good you are, if they have received forgiveness and have been filled with your Holy Spirit, 
Even if they're struggling, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them and remind them of their identity in Christ, that they're saved not because of what they have done, they're saved because of what you have done on their behalf. Encourage them. Encourage the one who's struggling. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are, who are doing well. Encourage them in their faith, Lord, and help them not to become complacent, taking their eyes off of you. I pray, Lord, for any of my brothers and sisters who are, are walking in unrepentance and although they have been genuinely born again, lead them back to yourself, Lord, so that they can walk in a way that's worthy of the calling that you have placed on their life. Let them find deep satisfaction and joy and peace by living a life totally surrendered to you in every area of their life because that's what you called us to. And that's what it means to have you as Lord. So lead them to that and show them that the lie that they're living right now is just that. It's a lie that is robbing them of life. And lastly, Lord, I pray for any of our friends here among us this morning who came in this morning and after hearing this message, they realize that they've not been born again yet. Lord Jesus, we plead with you to pour your grace out on that person, whoever they are, Open the eyes of their heart so that they can behold the depth and the depravity of their sinfulness as they stand before a holy God. Let them be broken and contrite over their sin. But in that very same moment, Lord Jesus, let them see your glory. Let them see the finished work of the cross and the lengths that you went to make sure that you could pay for their sins. Let them see that and how beautiful you are. And then lead them, Lord Jesus, we pray, to come to the end of themselves where they reject and turn from everything in their old life and they throw the sum total of their life at your feet saying, Lord Jesus, I believe. Now take my life and do whatever you want to do with it. Do that, we pray here this morning, Jesus, for your glory and for the... For the angels and for the saints, fullest joy do it, we pray. I ask all, we ask all these things, Jesus, in your sweet and your powerful name. Amen. 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 Amen.